Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Stories with Frisco and Bradshaw. Jerry, I'm doing an intro. You got to be quiet. This is the best of the best where we discuss the most legendary matches in, in our business history. Okay, now you can talk, Gary. Thank you, Dad. John was just making fun of my 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 designer glasses. You know, he's a Texan and he's got no taste whatsoever for eyewear. He goes, he's still a young dude and he can still see. But when you get old, you got to read things with glass cheaters, and they're not regular glasses, John. They're designer glasses, man. I got friends in Hollywood that are Hollywood producers that are calling me when they see me on your podcast and, and wanting to know where I, I can get a pair of these things. What did Dan Spivey say about your glasses? He laughed at me. So what are you wearing your wife's glasses for? <laughs> I said, Dan, it says right on here for men only. And you, you don't qualify. And well, then- we're discussing two men today. We got Stan Hansen versus Bruno Sammartino, cage match 1976. This is the return to Madison Square Garden after Stan had broke Bruno's neck. And this is the big time of Bruno coming back into the garden. It's just amazing, John, to me. Bruno had suffered a broken neck, what, six, eight months before this match? That's right. And here they're getting into, at the time, one of the most brutal types of matches that you could get into in our business, a, a steel cage match in, in Madison Square Garden. And it was their first return in the garden, uh, let alone a steel cage match, since uh, since Stan had, had broken his, uh, uh, Bruno's neck uh, in the garden uh, to begin with. So it's quite amazing to me that's a punishment that Bruno takes, but you know, you know, a cage match, there's been a lot of different rules during the time, as you like to say, I'm older than water. So 
I wasn't around like our, our brother Bruce that knew the first two participants in a cage match. I'd always thought if it didn't take place in Texas, as you tell me, it didn't take place. But where did the first steel cage match take place, John? Atlanta, Georgia, 1937. I think it was July 2nd. It was Jake Bloomfield and Count Rossi uh, had the first cage match. And it was a, kind of a circular cage, kind of like the the UFC octagon or the Lions Den, you know, Shamrock that they made for he and Blackman to have that fight. But it was uh, chicken wire that was put around it, barbed wire that was put around it and uh, made the ring into kind of something completely different. Yeah, it looked like an old style chicken coop that we know back there in the Southwest, you know, back around home, you know, where the folks put the chicken in, they lay their eggs and you go out every morning and you get those fresh eggs off, off of the nest there. But it was a little bit more sturdier than that. And, uh, and uh, but the cage matches really evolved. And, uh, you know, we were discussing a little bit earlier the different rules that when I first started in the wrestling business, John, if you went out over the top or you went through the door, you were disqualified. You had a steel cage match to keep people out. If you had a manager like Jimmy Hart or, or Scandor or Jimmy Cornette or, or Paulie Heyman or any of these guys, they were always wanting to get involved and, and, and do harm to, to their, 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 protege's uh, 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 body, so uh, opponent. So so it was to keep people out, or if you had a heel like like a Texan, like you or a Murdoch or or some of these guys, other guys were that when they go and get hot from an Oki, you ran out of the ring and you got counted <laughs> out to avoid getting your butts beat. So we said, oh, went to the promoter, okay, let's keep these Texans in and let's, let's, let's erect a steel cage. So that was the original purpose in my time, but this just shows you how the business evolved. It was to keep a manager out or, or a Texan in, so you can kick his ass. <laughs> but you know, it, it it must have been in the North, it must have been different because this was around 1976. So people were already, you listen to the crowd, every time Hanson tries to escape, the crowd goes crazy. So they're obviously conditioned to see this. You know, in Texas, when I started, it was already such that the rules had changed to where getting out or the door or out of the cage uh, were made you the winner, not the loser, because you had the famous cage match uh, with the, the Freebirds and the Von Ericks in Texas around 83 or so when you had the door by Gordy slammed on Kerry Von Erich's head. You know, which what was, an iconic finish that was. And how many finishes has that influenced, you know, since oh. that happened? And it was so good, you know, because Gordy was not looking. So you don't know if he did it on purpose. You don't know if he did it on purpose. According to storyline, it was just so well done. And nobody had seen anything like that at the time. Nowadays, everybody's going to do the, the Kerry Von Eric door finish. Yeah, well, let's let's, let's get started in, in, in this match. And bear in mind that Bruno San Martino, this is his first real physical match since a broken neck. He'd had a few matches before, but brother, they introduced Stan Hansen at 312. If he, if he if he's he he's a biscuit shy of 350 in this thing, I think. Stan hey, look, he's huge. Hey, Jerry, I'll tell you a quick funny story before we get started. You know, I had the barbed wire steel cage match with Big Show. Uh, it was in Pittsburgh, and you know the way that I won was he had choke slammed me through the ring. And then as he went out, out the door, everybody thought he won. 
Well, I'd gone through the ring, so I crawled out underneath the apron and I put my hand out and I won the cage match because I was out of the cage first. Well, the night before, they want to rehearse the spot. You know, so Big Show, I'm, I'm completely blind. He's on the top rope. He's got to put me right in the right spot. If not, I'm hurt pretty bad because they had everything reinforced around it with the cage, you know, with the, with the bottom that was false that they were going to move during the match. So right before the spot, Big Show walked over the, the door that was fixed and then threw me through it. So it looked tremendous, but, you know, obviously somebody in the, in the ring. So we're going to rehearse it the night before. So I go get up on the top rope. Big Show is going to put me through the ring. And Kevin Dunn yells out, stop, 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 stop. John, if you get hurt, we got no match tomorrow. And he says, so you can't practice your own stunt, which is fine with me. I don't want to do it anyway. So, uh, so we turned to Ellis, who we both love very much. And, and uh, Ellis uh, said, look, I think you'll probably, probably be all right. I said, probably. I'm probably be all right. I said, well, we need somebody to do it. I said, Ellis, do you want to do it? And he goes, well, no, I'm not big enough. So Ellis wouldn't do his own stuff. So Fit Finley, who had been at a pub, had a few drinks. We did it the night before, like at 11 o'clock. He gets up there in his uh, suit, dress pants, everything, and Big Show choke slams him through the ring the night before just to see if it worked. And sure enough, it worked perfectly, and Finley went back to the bar. And, and finished his fight. <laughs> That's right. And the next day, it worked absolutely perfect, and Big Show put me right – I mean, perfectly where I was supposed to be. You know, he just, he took good care of me. I sure would like that. Yes, sir. And well, so we'll get started on this match. But you just proved my point. You were running out of the cage like a Texan, just like I told you. Well, it wasn't my fault. A giant threw me through it. Okay, Don, it's your story. That is my story. Okay, you had zero? Yes, I am. All right. I'm going to zero. And now listen, we're gonna do it at three, two, one, go. But so when I wait till go, but we're not count down first, okay? Are you ready? Of course I'm ready. <laughs> three, two, one, go. I right, okay, J one, two, three. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know these old cages were rotten. Look at it. I mean, they were they were so flimsy. It, I mean, you know. As 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 a as as a heel, and you 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 probably had many of these cage matches, but, but you know these these cages actually were probably a little bit easier on you. I talked to Hogan one time. You know that that big blue cage. Oh, that was horrible. Man, that was that was solid rock. You were getting thrown against a damn steel wall when you got thrown in that. You thing. couldn't work it. You couldn't work it at all. You know, you hit this one, and you watch this one get hit. And it makes a ton of noise. It's great to work because when you hit it, it gives, it doesn't potato you, and it makes a ton of noise. That blue one was did nothing. It's kind of like the Punjabi prison match. You know, they had steel there for the the bar for it was supposed to be bamboo, and guys couldn't even hit it. It was so hard. So it looks like bamboo, but it's in reality steel. It was the worst type structure you could build. Look at this big guy from Borger, Texas. I Man, when he's walking through that crowd, we're about 312. This is one of Stan's heaviest moments, I believe, at this time here. And man, if you ain't ever been in a green against Stan, the man Hanson, I mean to tell you, even when he was trying to be light on you, he was 
so damn strong and so big it was torture i mean i'm i was 220 at my max you know and uh, 511 and big six foot five six six three twelve three twenty five stan hansen even when he was light on you he was heavy on you it's <laughs> true and he never stopped yeah he, he was did, constant he was, motion and you know you you, you as fast as fast as he was, I mean too. I mean you think you were working with a two forty pounder, you know that. that yeah, because he. That's right. He was an incredibly athletic guy. You know Vince McMahon here. He's doing the commentary by himself, solo. And he and I always thought Vince did a great job on commentary. You know, look, people. It's popular to hate on him for his comment. I thought he was great, and I thought he was fine producing me too. By the way. Uh, but Vince, yeah, I want to kiss ass. No, no, no. I never minded Vince because if, if Vince ever told me what to say, I knew what the boss wanted me to say. I can't. There's no way I can get in trouble because John, I, 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 ne I never understood that guy. Guys would be boohoo. I mean, man, it's 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 a show and it's business, and he knows more than you know about where this show is going. So listen to the man. Exactly. Sometimes he would feed me stuff, and it wouldn't make sense for what was happening in front of me. And then if, like five minutes later, something would happen that I didn't know was happening that he knew and it made perfect sense. So I, I completely agree. Some guys get boo-boo face and grow up. Here, here's a big Bruno coming in there, man. I mean, uh, look at the crowd too. You notice something really, really strange in the scene here? What's that? The man behind the microphone. Who is that? That ain't Howard Vickle. No, it's not, and he's and not he that good. Do, and he don't do near the job that Howard. No, he's thinking. not very. He's not good at all. He, he, I think he's just probably a garden of Mark. This is Ben Senior is still promoting at this time, right? So. Oh yeah, absolutely. So uh, Howard hadn't come along yet. I, Howard was Vince Junior's first hire. Right. So, so it wouldn't. Yeah. So Howard would maybe in the stands as a fan. And no telling how many. People are going to be in the sand after we air this match. You know, That's we right. aired some of these matches and half the damn, half the talent in the, in the world was there. Some of them weren't even born yet when the match <laughs> I guarantee you, Bub Bubba and Foley were in the stands. <laughs> the big stand starts on that offense right off the bat. Now, you know, just, you know, pay attention to the storyline here. He just broke Bruno's neck, so he's going to work on that. He's trying to weaken, weaken his opponent here. Yeah, and the timeline is here that Bruno broke his neck and they did the shape match with Stan before he was ready, really. And so this was really the first big match back they have. And what what's the timing there? Got, got guys and girls out there. Do you see how they're not rushing through anything? You see how they're not trying to get to the next spot? They're taking their time on this and they're telling that story. Tell a story, and they don't have a lot of parameters that help them. So they don't have false finishes. They don't have breaks on the ropes. There's no rules. Now keep in mind, the only way you win this match is out the door over the top. No pinfall. Stan going to that neck again. Knee to the elbow to the neck. He's working on it. That's telling your story. I'm trying to weaken. I'm trying to go to the weakest point. And right along in here somewhere, Vince McMahon says, uh, Stan is trying to get the belt. 
<laughs> he vents to give the one cardinal sin that he changed later where you, you can't ever say. Ain't no belt. Belt keeps your pants up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if I had said that, Vince would yell at me. And a lot of guys would come back with tears in, our, in their eyes. Too. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so there's that cage giving like crazy. And th these kind of cages were easy to work because they gave so much. It was hard to climb on them. But most of the time, we weren't trying to really get out anyway. You just wanted to work it. That must have been a spot back in those days where you pull the ties down and see the crack of somebody's ass there. Yeah, because you see it in all the old cage matches. Yeah, Terry used to do it, Dusty, and who wanted to see Dusty's ass? Who wanted to see Terry Funk's ass? And who wanted to see Stan Hansen's ass? <laughs> but I guess and what's funny is no, the answer is no one, but the entire crowd cheers. Oh, they love it, man. I have no clue who the referee is on the outside there. Bruno's uh, very unselfish in this match too. He he sells like the champ that he is. You know when you when you're over as as good as Bruno and 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 Stan too, both of these guys are selling. And John as a heel, you can pick up on Stan's uh, Stan selling and what it means. But Bruno down, selling uh, you know and uh, letting uh, letting Stan get that heat as he can. And then then it comes Stan's turn. You're not a great heel until you know how to do what? Sell. Yeah. <laughs> you better you believe it. You don't, draw money. you don't draw money until you learn how to what? Sell. <laughs> that's, that's the key to everything. It's like a yeah, guy who's undefeated. You know, you can't draw money until you, until you lose because right. as, as baby face right. because people are, you got to have some sympathy. Bruno, he had that crowd behind him, man. He, he Bruno was so over in, in the garden there. How many consecutive sellouts? Of 187. Wow. That'll never be equaled. No. Uh, Frank Sinatra, Elvis, everybody here. Tony Bennett, all those big stars are coming. None, none of them even come close. I mean, what Bruno did in the 60s and 70s is just amazing. You know, and I, I, it upsets me. Uh, he gets criticized a lot. Well, that was the only place he went. But, you know, Bruno, he went, you did You did a great Legends interview with him. If you folks have a chance to get that Legends interview on, on the Peacock Network with John and Bruno. And Bruno, Bruno kind of goes into that without even, you know, trying to brag about it. But he was a big star out in California. He, he was a big star out on the West Coast. In Toronto. And in Toronto. He was a big star in Toronto. Yeah, Canada, all over Canada. And down here in Florida, he met he met so much. Uh, Eddie Graham would bring him into the Miami, West Palm Beach area. And we would we would bank on full houses that night. Thing is, if you can sell out the garden every week, yeah. there's no reason <laughs> who, to go Who cares? Who cares if you can sell out the or what you right. about the garden fifty-two weeks in a row? That's right. Who cares if you can sell out the sportorium? You know what I really like about this match? It's a steel cage match. And, and you know, it got to a while where it was just, you know, it's automatic, but they wait until they got the proper heat to get the color on the stand. 
That's right. They wait almost to right the, the very beginning or anything yep. like that. They make they know it's coming. The fans know it's coming, but they make them wait for it. And they make them make them at the right time. Get it? They get it. And this is some Dick Murdoch influence right here. I guarantee it. Oh God, tell me. Yeah, that is that's got Murdoch written all over it. Stan hanging on the ropes that's like that. Texas, right there. How many times <laughs> did you see Terry Funk do that? That exact same thing. <laughs> exactly. That's all that's some, people that watch Terry all the time. That's some not taking anything away from Terry. Not taking anything away from because it's a great ass spot. Layfield, you probably did it a few you times. Better believe I did it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> when I interviewed Bruno, he told me he goes, "You Texans." He said, "Bobby Duncan Senior." You know, I tagged with his son Junior, and uh, Bobby Duncan Senior came up and broke his arm, and then Stan comes up and breaks his neck. So he says, you Texans, because I don't want to wrestle any of you anymore. That kind of proves my point. You guys are dangerous. <laughs> yeah. And here you go, trying to get over the top. Typical Texan. And you know, this is the typical heel baby face. It's the heel that is trying to escape all the time. Yeah. You watch Bruno doesn't until he wins. Big, big stand. You know, it didn't matter, like I said, it was going before. It didn't matter what size you were. Stan was a businessman in that ring, and he sold accordingly. I mean, he was, and that's the reason Stan was so a uh, huge star and money draw everywhere that he went is because he knew how to his work from a big man to a, to an average man. And, and he had the athletic ability and the speed and, and uh, uh, the, the skill set to, to adapt to anybody. Yeah. You know, when we had Morocco and he talked about the seeing Stan work with Andre and then dynamite kid a couple weeks later, and they both were great matches and two complete different dynamics. Yeah. Look at Stan selling. That is so good. You know, Bruno, to his credit, uh, never held it against Stan. He could have never held it against Stan. Just a mistake. It was a it was a scoop slam that uh, he broke his broke Bruno's neck on. You know, uh, we're all fortunate. I mean, and, and 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 that just shows you what kind of person Bruno was. And you you had that hour, and I and I tell you, uh, you had that hour to interview him on that legend show, and that had to be a thrill for you because Bruno is a legend. Bruno. Oh. Bruno. Uh, just to hear him talk and just sit there and gain knowledge of while he's in the same room. It was so cool because Jerry, he, he, he remembered things like it was yesterday. He talked about hiding from the Nazis in the Bruzy Hills in Italy with his mom. He's about the time the Nazis lined him up to execute him. And his mom says, Hey, it's okay. We're not going to be cold anymore. And somebody jumped the Nazis and killed them. And, and that's what saved their lives. But he remembered it like it was the, yesterday. And to hear this legend telling these stories, and finally, we broke at one point, and he turned to me. He goes, "Are my answers okay?" <laughs> I started laughing. I said, You're Bruno San Martino. You can say the heck you want to say. Yeah, what a man! Oh, what a man! What a story! And just so nice, you know. He, he sat there and told me, he "Goes, he goes, I've watched you, and 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 you know, maybe he had watched just to kind of you know do a little homework on me, but it's so kind what he said. And he said, "I saw your match with so and so. It's just I'm thinking this is one of the greatest." of all time it's, it's unbelievable how humble 
and giving he was. Yeah. I, you know, uh, you know, I've been around Bruno a lot, but I never really got to know him. And I, and we were in a WrestleMania in Orlando. I think it was his last WrestleMania matter of fact, I really got to spend a quality time with him about, about two straight days, 24 hours. Cause you know how busy we are down there. And I got to know Bruno and that last night when we're at the post party there, we're sitting down at the buffet and he, he leans over and he said, I'm really got, glad I got the time to meet you. He said, I knew your brother because we're a champ at the same time. We crossed paths a lot, but you and I really didn't you know, a couple of times at St. Louis, a couple of times at Florida. He said, I, I, I'm glad I got the chance to know you and get to know you like I did your brother. And he said, he said, you're too good, man. But man, just coming from Bruno San Martino, wow. Uh, <laughs> he had knocked you off your feet. You know? Yeah. Hey, there's uh, there's where he got the color, and uh, there is Bruno using the lariat arm pad. You know what's always said was loaded, so that's the the emphasis behind that, which the crowd picked up on, and, and Vince, as the commentator, certainly picked up on. Uh, John, explain to to these young uh, young dude be, uh, and, and go what, what exactly lariat is. Stand the lariat uh, uh, Hanson. So what 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 did he do? He had like a loaded, what like a knee pad or elbow pad. That's right. They always said his elbow pad was loaded. There goes Bruno out of the ring. Yeah, he got the winner. The winner. Stan always, they always claimed uh, Stan's elbow pad was loaded. In fact, they even had up in Minnesota one time, a bunch of roll of dimes fall out of it, you know, supposedly by mistake. So Bruno used his gimmick to beat him and get, get, him, get blood on him. Right? And that's what's so cool about this is, 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 is Stan just gets his ass whooped. He's down, and then Bruno walks out of the cage. I mean, it's a perfect baby face finish. Leaves the crowd happy. All right. And you look, and you look at this as a fan. I mean, this this, this doesn't hurt Stan at all. No. And that's the thing about being a heel and getting your heat and doing a job. It doesn't matter as long as you're a good heel. As long look as at Hanson here, holding up his elbow pad that <laughs> supposedly that he, beat, gimmicked, that he was beat with. That he was, that's right, that he was beat with. He's continually selling, putting over the baby face. Well, it's truly to, to, the, to the master of our time out there. And, uh, and you know, you and I both had to, had to, had a great opportunity to be friends with both of these guys, and 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 to know what kind of people they are and what kind of stars they are is just really thrilling to to be able to say you're their friends. But look at that cage! Look how flimsy that thing is. It? <laughs> Try to do that today's cage, you know, and break your arm trying to do it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, a lot of props to these kids, and then like you guys that 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 did those Punjabi matches and those uh, Hell in the Cells and and arcade matches, and you know we stored that big blue cage at the body shop for years and years and years, and we had it in a New York Yankees training center just right down the the street from where the body shop was, 
So you had to pass our shop sometime to get to Yankee Stadium. So they would see that big blue cage out there. And after the Yankee game, spring training game, a lot of those fans would come down to the body shop and want to take pictures with, with Jack and I and, and the steel cage there, you know, because that, that big blue cage was so famous there. It was kind of a tourist attraction there. <laughs> Where did you, how did you start? Did you start outside, I guess? We just leaned it up against the wall. I mean, uh, they we, they had a truck there for years. They had that big old blue, I, mean, I don't know if he was around, big old blue WWF trucks. And uh, yeah, yeah, we yeah. had one there at the shop. And that was, it was a tourist attraction too. And uh, we'd set it right out in front, you know, just to promote our shop. And uh, the WWE was so hot at the time. I mean, it, that the logo was, was the selling point. So we, especially during the Yankees spring training games, like I said, Steinbrenner Field just right down the street there. And plus we did a lot of the Yankees cars. We did Reggie Jackson's car. We did, we did a lot of those guys, guys car and uh, Lou Pinella and George Steinbrenner's car. We did his cars and, uh, but yeah, the tourists and, and the fans from the spring training games would come down to shop and want to take pictures of big blue. That was that blue cage was the worst idea ever. There's nothing you could do with it. It you no. couldn't work it. You couldn't do anything. You could climb it easy, but that was about that was about it. Yeah, and that, you know why they had it, don't you? Because Bundy couldn't climb the damn cage. I heard that. Yeah, so they made the that's, whole. That's cage. A, a, you heard right. That was the reason the big blue came into existence. King Kong Bundy it was, was so big and so King Kongish. He couldn't he couldn't climb that cage, and so they they made the uh, they made the big blue those big uh, big squares that he could get those big wide feet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know you know obviously know what they do now a lot with the with the guys who climb the cage is they they cut out a couple of wires you know make the footholds bigger. Yeah. Now, when when you when you were, were letting the trade Ellis trade secrets here and Ellis, uh, you know, you were killing were killing the mystique here. But yeah, when you see those holes in those cages, that don't mean there's bad maintenance on those cages because they're not. They take care of those cages like they do the do everything else there. But um, those those holes there, as John said, or or what, John? For you big boys to what? Get your foot. That's on. right, because you, you got the great big guys with the big with the big feet, and you're wearing wrestling boots. You can't get, you can't climb the cage. So you, you had to make the little holes in there so you could grab something and get up the cage that way. You, you'd see them, they're just positioned in different corners and those are the corners you know to use because those are where the footholds are. And like when you go down the outdoor man out there, the, the climbing rock, those, those handles are just built out of certain places you know, that you can grab hold for. So you gotta be athletic enough to stretch out those different spots and get to those things and then hang on to the damn thing because it's not easy. No, it's not. And now everybody expects you to be up on top of the cage. And they made that lip around it that you could actually sit on, which when you're up there, I've been up there. It's, it's, it feels like I'm, I'm a little scared of heights. I feel like I'm 500 feet up there. I don't blame. I don't, I don't think I could make it up there. And you know, we can all blame that on Duke or super Jimmy fly snook and Don Morocco. You know? That's right. Yeah. It's all Don Morocco's fault. If he hadn't been willing to catch Superfly then this wouldn't have happened. Then you wouldn't have been put in that position. Well, I want to know what is worse, but I don't think you you could probably give me half the equation, but you can't give me the full equation, which is worse, flying off or landing. Oh, yeah. I know you've never flown off. Eddie was really nervous. You know, his first match in he WWE, broke his arm. he broke his arm. 
So his brother, Hector, I believe it was, told him, says, you got to hold your hands together and that, that gives you up for you like this or like this or whatever it was. And that, that reduces the tension of the force. So that's what Eddie was trying to do when he jumped off the cage. But Eddie was, Eddie was worried because he'd already broke his arm on a regular uh, frog splash that something might happen. And I was trying not to do the sit up too far, you know, to make it look better, you know, and, and it, yeah, it, I wouldn't want to be either one again. I wouldn't want to be the guy on the bottom and I sure wouldn't want to be the guy on the top. Yeah. You know, I, I got scared when I was just went to the top rope. I can't imagine going up on top of a damn 15 foot steel cage. You know? I'm pretty sure Nick Patrick was our referee. I think he was, it was either Nick Patrick or Kyoto probably, but I think it was Nick Patrick because he did nearly all my matches. And Nick asked me as soon as Eddie hit me, he goes, are you okay? And I said, can't feel nothing. Tell him not to cover me. <laughs> yeah. Cause I couldn't, I knew I couldn't kick out. I, I, I couldn't feel half of my body. Uh, he'd hit me so hard. And Nick, Nick told Eddie, he goes, just be, be calm, be calm. Don't go too fast. What he want, he's trying to tell him is don't cover him because he, he can't kick out. Wow. Wow. Well, John, this is amazing. We made it through the number three here, episode three. And check out the other two, man. Uh, there, the, 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 the screw job with Chief Don Eagle and Gorgeous George and who did a benefit. And then we opened up with... Uh, would we open up with Pat O'Connor and Buddy Rogers from uh, 1961 uh, Comiskey Park when they drew the biggest crowd that had ever been drawn in professional wrestling history, which lasted until 1986 until the Toronto Super Show uh, ended up breaking. And if you folks like this stuff, you know, just give us that check mark on there and hit the like button because and give us some feedback and let us know what you guys would like to watch here because we're completely open. We, John and I both. I'd like to hit, hit hit on the historical matches and what made them historical and significance and and everything and uh and so we're kind of uh, stuck on those old matches. But if you got some new matches that that's your favorite ones, John and I will study them. And this guy here does uh, amazing research, and so does John. <laughs> that's right. We we love doing our research. We love doing our history. This was one of the biggest uh, the match of the year in '76. A lot of people said was was Stan and Bruno, and then Bruno goes on to have a little bit more run. That's when he's kind of ready to quit, and he's only wrestling a couple times a week because a senior asked him to come back, and that was kind of his deal. You were telling and, me before uh, we went on, he he was he was at all stages of retirement, right? And, uh, That's right. After from 63 to 71 is when he held the first reign. And then in 72, he had taken kind of a year off. He went to Japan a few times. A senior asked him to come back. And he said, the only way I'll come back is that I just want to reduce schedule. He said, I want to be able to see my kids grow up. I want to see my family. He was burnout. And so senior said, well, you only work a couple times a week, only on the big shows. And so that was his deal. And he said, we'll do it for a year. That was, uh, and then a year turned into, as Bruno says, a year turned into two, a year turned into three, a year turned into four. And then the fourth year was when he got his neck broke. And then after that, he was just, he was kind of ready to retire and basically did and then kind of came back a little bit, but uh, this was kind of it for him. He was, he was kind of like uh, your brother Jack was, uh, you know, he'd been champion for so long. He was, and he was tired. He was ready to go home. A schedule and no, no matter where you are, when you when you're a champion, not only the physical, schedule that they have but the metal weight at that at that title is you were the longest range smackdown champion john i mean 
if the house was bad, how did you feel? Oh my goodness. Whose responsibility was it? Yeah, you felt you feel the load of the company on your shoulders when you're carrying that thing. So the mental strain was was as tough as a physical strain. And uh and all those champions that, that carried that 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 title, that, that's the first thing they'll tell you. Hey, the, the mental part of it is is, is worse than sometimes than the physical part of it. Yeah, and nearly everybody who's had a title for long for a while will tell you when it was done, you're just like, I made it through. And that was it. Uh, you, you just done, I'm done and I don't want no more. That's right. <laughs> Most <laughs> That's of right. Them. Most of them anyway. <laughs> yeah, because the, the one of the first matches at Shea, uh, you had uh, Bruno who went 65 minutes, I believe, with Pedro. You know, and you're not asked that when you're on first. You're asked that when you're on <laughs> in Bruno's spot. And that just wears you out. But so it's not like wrestling so many years as compared to everybody else because you're having to wrestle three times as long in a, in a more important match. And so you're doing a lot more that so much more goes into it. And too, John, and you, you probably have some of the same story, but Jack used to tell me and, and then Bruno, uh, while we were over in Orlando told me, and I, cause I was telling him some of Jack's issues, y'all, you know, you're, you're in a strange building, strange place and everything you're on last and you're going 65 minutes. I don't care how big of a fan some of the underneath guys on, they aren't going to stay. And even if they do say, by the time it takes you to get back to that dressing room, they're gone. So nine times out of 10, you're, you're, you're out there. You just busted your ass and you might've had the greatest match of your life. And you go back to the back and you're expecting a couple of pats on the back and there ain't nobody in the damn dressing room. Right. And you're they're- all alone, you know, and Bruno, Bruno, and that, that was Jack, one of Jack's, big pet peeves you know i would bust my ass in these little territories and i come in the back and there ain't nobody there you know tell me good match or good job way to go everybody's gone they're 30 minutes down the road already to the next town and so that that mental aspect of it too is such a heavy load for guys like that yeah that's why it's so amazing what a guy like bruno did to hold a title for that long and sell out the garden as many times he did there'll never be another bruno you know, I don't know where Bruno fits in, say, against, say, Hulk Hogan or Stone Cold or Rock or Cena or Flair, but there will never be another Bruno. Who cares where they fit in against those guys there? Who can fit in against a Ric Flair? Who can fit in against a Hulk Hogan? They don't even fit in against each other because they were two completely different types of workers, two completely types of different types of, of territories and stuff like that. They were both, all of those names you mentioned, they were all great, you know, bottom yeah. line. You know. Yeah, every single one of them. With each other. To me, that's where they fit into each other. They were all <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> then they can all go to the bar and basically rib each other, but they were all better than And the older other. they got, the better they got too, man, which is great too. <laughs> that's right. Well, we hope you enjoyed our show, uh, Bruno Sammartino versus Stan Hansen back in 1976. A lot of history went into this. Don't forget to check out all our playlists. We have a Stan Hansen playlist. We have Bruno playlist. We have Gorgeous George playlist, the Briscoe Brothers playlist, all the great matches. And we're breaking down our analysis is going to be right there along with it. So our channel's become a real destination for wrestling fans for Mr. Gerald Briscoe, Oklahoma's favorite son and the WWE Hall of Famer. And me, Bradshaw, thanks for joining us. <laughs>